Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Evan coming back at you with another Left Unread. And before we get into the meat of the episode, which is uh, going to be Cam's uh, part three for the Mongols, um, well, you know, before we get into that, you know, lighthearted and joyous uh, story, I did want to <laughs> talk a bit about um, the uh, the really tragic murder this week of Jordan Neely, who is a homeless man in um, in New York City who was killed on the New York City subway. By a uh, by a marine, he was uh, choked to death for something about fifteen minutes with other bystanders actually helping out uh, this um, this uh, this man kill him. And um, you know the story as it came out is that uh, uh, Mr. Neely was uh, you know he was a homeless man. He was having some sort of mental health crisis and uh, screaming and yelling and um, kind of you know throwing his jacket and stuff on the subway. Which uh, I think if you know if any of you have been on a subway in a major American city, that's definitely something that you have experienced, mm-hmm. um, or really in you know certain parts of any you know, major or minor uh, American city. I mean, I see those types of things all the time sure. down my street um, in front of a liquor store. But regardless, um, you know, because of this, uh, some somebody just decided to grab him and murder him. And I've seen people online describe it, and I don't think unfairly, as a lynching. Uh, Mr. Neely was a black man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man that killed him and the men that were helping him uh, be killed were all white. And, um, you know, uh, this uh, this as-yet-unnamed um, uh, assailant was arrested and um, released without any sort of charges, you know, over the fact that he just murdered somebody who hadn't attacked anybody, hadn't... Um, hadn't really caused any damage or anything like that and uh mr neely apparently um was yelling about how he has no food to eat no water to drink uh nowhere to stay and he doesn't care if he goes to jail and it came out that you know he had been in and out of jail quite a bit which uh, i think is pretty normal for a homeless man as homelessness is basically criminalized in this entire country so oftentimes you you can just be arrested for any sort of thing he also was apparently uh, pretty famous for doing impersonations of Michael Jackson mm-hmm. uh, on the subway, and uh, had uh, some you know, something some small uh, fan base. Apparently, a lot of people really liked uh, seeing him do those impersonations. He seemed to be quite good at. I watched some of the videos, um, but uh, you know, this is uh, just another um, instance. I think of really the uh, how you know the system that we live under really degrades people. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't really want to, you know, speak for the dead or whatever, but I, by him yelling that he doesn't care if he goes to jail and didn't have food or water or a place to stay, it kind of sounded like he was maybe hoping to get arrested so that he had right. a place to stay and get food and water. Which is not an uncommon Yeah, yeah, that's situation. not on, yeah. Folks either hope to get themselves committed to hospitals or, yeah. you know, if that's not possible, put into to jail yeah. um, just to have a, a, a warm roof and a couple Just of for a few meals. days. Yeah, just for a yeah. few days, and um, yeah, and you know, of course, the the uh, cretinous right wing mobs on the internet that are, in my opinion, lower than mosquito shit, and that uh, oh, yeah. I would I would I would prob I would rather face plant into a pile of dog shit than deal with for more than five seconds. Some of these people uh, have really been kind of um, dancing with joy over the fact that this young man was killed, um, and it's just you know. 
I don't know. It's tough. It's you know. I think the homeless situation here in America is. is I mean, it's tough. You know, these are people that are have fallen through the crack. Um, they're needy. They're the probably you know the the lowest members of our society. The ones mm-hmm. that um that, that you know there's there's nothing below them. And I think the powers that be in this country uh want this sort of thing to be the case. They want to see. You know, uh, they want you to see this video of a homeless man having a mental health crisis and being murdered because basically they're saying, listen, if you don't, you know, accept your meager lot in life, it could get worse. This could be you. And I think that that's the reason that, you know, you know, ending homelessness in this country really wouldn't be that expensive or difficult. But I think um, I think it it is intended by the system that that this always be a possibility. And I I just want to say that, you know, um. It's tough to see this, but if, you know, the homeless and th- these people at the at the frayed edges of our society are not just somebody that can be discarded like this. These are people, yeah. these are members of our community. And if you can't have compassion and empathy and sympathy for them, I, I don't really know what to tell you. But I, I, per- I mean, seeing this, I don't even know. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. It's just... um. My heart goes out to to him and all of the people dealing with this, and I think we can all maybe try to band together and do something about this when we when we can and when the opportunity presents itself. And these are not people that we should just push to where we can't see them and uh, forget about them. Yeah, uh, I think you've said it really well, and you know you, you speak for both of us on all of that. Um, and the one thing that I think I'll add is just that you know for a lot of us who, you know, are either below the poverty line or, or working really hard every day to stay just above it. Most of us aren't much more than one or two big events away from, you know, the risk of being food insecure or, 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 or not having a home. And I think a growing part of our population experiences that as a daily reality. So, just try your your hardest when you read news like this to remind yourself that you know this could be you mm-hmm. and any one of us are just a few a few bad days or a few bad events away from being in a much more desperate situation than we are right now and yep. um that should not strip you of your humanity or your basic right to 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 life and um so anyway that's all i just wanted to add that but i think that you said said it perfectly for the two of us and um i think with that let's uh let's start the show
All right. Well, <laughs> so what's going on, Cam? Hey, what's going on, man? Um, <laughs> so that's tough to follow that up, but um, you know, I think that it had to be said, and I think you did a nice job saying it. So thanks for Thank that. What else? Um, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we, we dive um, back in? I got something that we can talk about at the end of the episode. but Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, I think that probably makes more sense. No yeah. reason to dilute that message. Um, so <clears throat> as Evan mentioned at the start, uh, this is going to be part three uh, of our or my episodes on the – my series of episodes on the Mongols. Um, we've been focusing uh, part one, uh, which was, I believe, episode 79 – uh, focused on a sort of brief uh, exploration of the world that we are diving into. Uh, episode two, which was episode 80 of the show. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, it was episode back. 81. This is actually oh, yeah. going to be, my notes are wrong. This is going to be episode 84. So episode 81 uh, was part two, um, where we talked about young Temujin, uh, the boy who had grown up to be Genghis Khan. Yep. And today we're continuing that narrative. So um, before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you guys, we do keep uh, playlists updated on Spotify. Um, relevant to this is our episode, or I'm sorry, a playlist titled LU Series, which is where we compile all of our multi-part um, series of episodes from our show. Because as you all know and <laughs> love or don't, um, we don't <laughs> record our episodes sequentially because Evan and I... I don't know. We got to work jobs and shit. So yeah, yeah um, we got lives. So we do. We, we do. We try to hand it off, hand off the work to each other uh, as much as we can. <laughs> we we do. We do. Um, and Love that works, of course, to a certain extent. But um, so that is just a good place, especially if you are a Spotify user, which the largest section of you are. Um, that's a good place to go if you want to just bang out series sequentially which actually i i hope that that's been working because we've noticed a real uptick in old episode downloads things like that so it seems like that playlist has been helpful to you guys um we also just i like to mention that we have a series uh, a playlist rather called lu rippers where we upload all of the music from our shows because i think we choose cool music for a lot of our shows and some of it's yeah, really we both got pretty good taste i think well, yeah if we do say so ourselves yeah and um yeah, we're pretty fucking cool. So yeah, we're pretty we're pretty <laughs> neat dudes. So, yeah. um, so check that out there if you're ever if you hear anything on the show and you're like, what song was that? Like last episode, I did like all fucking slamming like modern hardcore slash deathcore, <laughs> and um, then sometimes we do old school hip hop, new rap, fucking Mongolian metal, all kinds of yep. shit. So if you ever want to find any of that stuff, um, head over there. That's yep. Lu Rippers and Lu Series on Spotify. Yeah, our, uh, um, our official, our unofficial third mic'sman has appeared too, Sancho. He's a big fan. I think he just really loves when we record. Yeah, he can just constantly walk between my fingers as they hang. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's you're 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 in one place, and you're yeah. he can hear your soothing voice. He probably yeah. likes your voice, my dulcet tones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sometimes so. you can hear him meow. It is. I. It has noticeably appeared once or twice. Yeah, I very rarely hear it when we're recording, but sometimes I, yeah. I catch it uh, during editing. Yeah. And I always make sure to snip it out. No, I'm just kidding. We never yeah. do that. Sancho, yeah. You're not allowed. He's allowed to be here. <laughs> um, all right. So let's let's dive in. So, okay. <clears throat> so I'm not going to do an exhaustive recap. Um, I would prefer that you go back and listen to the, the, the other ep- episodes. Um, you do definitely need to listen to part two to understand part three, um, mm-hmm. which is what we're recording right now. Um, I've sort of made 
part one optional, but you should also listen to that because it was fun to make and it's part of the series. Yeah. Um, Don't be flaky. What'd you say? (laughs) I said, don't be flaky. Listen to all the episodes. Just listen to all of them. Yeah. Um, So last week, uh, we left off with young Temujin and his younger full brother, Kassar, um, ambushing and murdering their elder half-brother, Belgate. I'm sorry, their older half-brother, Begter. They did not murder Belgate. Yeah. uh, For the crime of conspiring to bang their mom and become their new dad. Allegedly. Yeah. Uh, Following this episode, um, Temujin was branded as an outlaw and was forced to leave his family behind and flee the justice of the Taichiud clan who were the dominant power in the northern steppe region where all of our drama has played out up until now. So that, dear listeners, is where we shall pick up the narrative. Um, <clears throat> so murdering your own brother is generally considered a pretty fucked up thing to do in most cultures. Um, and the Mongols uh, of the 12th century were no different. So after a stern tongue lashing from their mother, uh, and no, this is not a scene from Milf Manor, uh, <laughs> from their mother, Holun, uh <laughs> Yeah, I we talked about Milf Manor last week. <laughs> Dude, I know. I So I have a free uh, seven-day trial to Discovery Plus because oh, last yeah. night. Yeah. So I went to a, a really dumb concert yesterday, and so I got I got a little stoned beforehand and uh, got home, and like all I wanted to do was watch Blue Planet 2. Yeah. And so I got a free trial to Discovery Plus, and then afterwards I was like, fuck, this means I can watch Milf Manor. So yeah, I'm going to try to watch the entirety of season one in the next couple days <laughs> before oh, yeah. I... Uh, before yeah. I depart for Nicaragua. Yeah. Um, so... Milf Manor recap ho- ho- episode one. What'd you say? Milf Manor recap episode one. I know, dude, right? It's gonna have to happen. <laughs> um, so Holun uh, is really mad at Temujin and Kassar for killing Begter because of all the, the, the... Because of the implication. Yeah. Um, so Temujin knows that the Taichiud clan, who had abandoned his family and taken the rest of his own Borjigid clan with them several years prior, uh, is going to be hunting for him. Now, the Taichiuds, as we said, are kind of considered the, the leading clan of the uh, the lands between the Onon River um, or around the Onon River where they had been camped. And as such, they took it upon themselves um, to sort of enact frontier justice upon people that require it. So Temujin catches wind that there's a hunting party of Taichiud warriors who are out seeking him. And he attempts to flee into the nearby mountains. Uh, But he is ultimately um, caught and brought back in chains, but probably like ropes, uh, (laughs) to the Taichiud camp. Yeah. So the thing is, not only had Temujin committed murder, which was obviously in and of itself a crime, we've kind of talked a little bit about the Mongols, uh, and how they have these really interesting taboos about bloodshed and murder um, and sickness and dying, and they don't really like talking about it, which is interesting considering how big of a part how violence into it they are. Is, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a really interesting <laughs> juxtaposition. So um, it's just that that's just a part of their culture. Right. Um, so not only has he broken that taboo and, and committed murder and against a, a male kinsman, which is like the predominant bond um between mongols that's how they sort of define all of their politics their Mm -hmm. tribal communities etc etc um but he's also now made himself a legitimate contender for dominance of the borjigid mongols uh his father's clan who were now subordinate to the taichiuds yesuge his father still obviously had living brothers probably at this point and remember there was some sort of controversy in the secret history of the mongols which is the text from which our main text derives Mm. Um, 
as to why Holun didn't marry one of these brothers after the death of, of her husband. Yeah. Um, but either way, as the eldest surviving son of the former leader of the Borjigids, Temujin was a potential threat to stability in the region. So if he decides that he's going to start you know, putting his own squad together and making moves, yeah. uh, that could disrupt things for the Taichiids. Now, you might think the kid would be uh, sentenced to death or something um, for what he's done. Yeah. Uh, but apparently, the Taichiids felt uh, that it made more sense not to answer bloodshed with more bloodshed, at least not initially. Um, yeah. And you'll see in a second. We don't really know what their long-term plan was for him because uh, our boy Temujin's not really going to give them a chance to, to enact that. Okay. So maybe when they'd heard that Begter, they, they might have heard that Begter was was kind of an asshole. Um, and t- I mean, Temujin's still just a kid at this point. He's he's in his early to mid teens. It's not really clear how old he is. So at the very least, they're going to enact some sort of disciplinary uh, course correction to try to try to break his spirit and get this little whippersnapper in line. So what ends up happening is he's brought back to their camp and they strap him into a device called a Kang which is uh, a French word, C-A-N-G-U-E, Kang. Uh, and it's used to describe uh, a sort of torture device or a punishment device that I guess was fairly common in East Asia up until early modern times. You can find photographs of them online. Um, you should look them up because it'll make my ensuing explanation a little clearer. Um, but it's basically a rudimentary wooden yoke of sorts that goes around a person's neck and restricts their movements. Oh, look at that fucking thing. Yeah, you can see a picture. I think there's a, the picture on Wikipedia, like the guy in Shanghai. Yeah, the one, big right? square shit. Yeah. yeah, so they didn't necessarily have like a uniform design, but the premise is you've got this big wooden yoke around your neck that um, either does or doesn't bind your hands to it, but either way it makes it really hard for you to feed yourself. You can't even really get food on the ground because there's this big wooden frame around your face, so you can't get your face. It's just, it's miserable. So you're, you're walking around with this thing on, <clears throat> and... While you're in a Kong, a person cannot really effectively um, take care of themselves. So if they're going to survive, they become entirely dependent on others to keep them alive, to feed them, um, like literally hand feed them, um, or they're just going to starve to death and die. The point of this appears to have been to break Temujin's will rather than to starve him to death because the Taichudes do allow him to be passed between the various uh, subordinate families that stay with the Taichiud main camp um, to be fed and sheltered, et cetera, et cetera. They don't seem to really actively torment him or torture him. Um, the point is basically just to keep him in the camp um, and keep him in this thing until he fucking cools off or they decide what they're going to do with him. Um, so these subordinate families would either be war captives or just families uh, that had pledged, you know, loyalty to the Taichiuds because they were, you know, needed protection or they were starving, whatever. They they tend to fall somewhere between the idea of being like slaves and or servants, um, but they they are they are decidedly ser- uh, um, subordinate to the Taichiuds themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they are less than, and they're not treated especially well. Um, <clears throat> so he would be brought into the homes of these families to sleep. Um, he would have his injuries treated. Uh, apparently there was one family where the children basically begged their father to remove the Kong in secret at night so that he could get like at least one good night's sleep without this thing around his neck. And they cleaned the wounds that had formed around his neck and his wrists. Yeah, I'm sure your neck would get pretty fucking gnarly. You right would be gross. Yeah. yeah, your neck would be gross. He probably had scars from this for the rest of his life. Yeah. 
Um, and who knows how long the Taiyuchis planned to keep Temujin like this, or, or really what the eventual goal was. Um, <clears throat> is he going to starve? Is he going to be executed? But obviously, as I said, none of this is going to come to fruition, because here we are talking about him. And yep. if he just died in captivity, there probably wouldn't be a, a point to making any of these episodes. Nobody would have written anything about him. Nobody would remember this random guy. Yep. So one day, Temujin, he's still locked in the Kong. And he was assigned to keep watch over a younger boy uh, who was the son of one of the Taichiid warriors who had some sort of physical and or intellectual disability. So, you know, they describe him as sort of weak and or feeble, whatever. Um, but so clearly disabled in some way. And so he's supposed to keep watch over him while all the the, the men of the Taichiid clan go and have a feast and get drunk and party and whatever. They just don't want to worry about keeping an eye on this kid. So they yeah. give that... that you know, quote-unquote, lowly job to Temujin. No. Temujin, being the kid that he is, I mean, this is a kid who killed his own brother for just, like, being mean and getting a weird boner for his mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he sees his chance, and so he takes the Kong and swings his head around and clocks this kid in the face and knocks him out and <laughs> runs off, <laughs> um, which is, you know, kind of a dick move, but... Not, you know, not, he, not too he, nice. He doesn't want to stay imprisoned anymore. <laughs> he's had this thing on his head long enough, and he's like, sorry, kid, and fucking knocks him out so he actually ends up getting spotted by that that father of that family who had taken the kong off his neck and and you know treated his wounds and the guy s sees him and they have this sort of deer in the headlights moment where they both freeze yeah and rather than yell and raise the alarm the guy's like just get out of here just run away mm -hmm. run while you can but temujin's like well, i'm still in this kong like I, i'm just gonna die out there so he ends up hiding like in a riverbed, and when night falls, he sneaks back and goes to this guy's family's gear, which remember is like a yurt. It's the term yeah. for their, you know, their dwelling. And he asks them to help him. So obviously the family is is mortified by this uh -huh. because if they get found with him, you know, he's definitely gonna get killed now. I mean, yeah. if he wasn't already gonna get executed for this murder, he is now like seriously assaulted the the disabled child of one of the the taichid warriors he's like now officially definitely just gonna get his head chopped off yeah so or whatever they probably would have done that because they didn't like to shed blood but they would have killed him somehow yep. strangled him or something <clears throat> um so long story short the family agrees to help him out and they remove the kong and they even go so far as to roast a little bit of meat for him, a little lamb, according to the secret history. And they give him a horse, which, you know, is a big deal. They're a poor family. They're basically slaves to this larger clan. There's no way they had a lot of horses, which were the main way, as we said in part one of this series, that the the, the Mongols and the other steppe groups would, you know, measure wealth. And it was just the, the horse was the, the, the primary... Um, everything really for step culture it was transportation yeah. it was food it was it was livestock it was, it was labor it was everything and they were sacred at the same time you know so the gift of the gift of meat and a horse is really significant <clears throat> so they hide him in a big pile of wool throughout the day while they get you know all this stuff together and the next night Temujin was off yep and so this episode in the secret history um i think is meant to highlight really two things so first um it's to establish that temujin clearly has some sort of special quality to him that had enticed these these poor people who really had nothing to give to help him and to give him some of their meager possessions um so i think we're supposed to to take from this that 
you know, he was obviously charismatic or, or uh, wonderful in some way that, that people around him just could see even at this early age. And second, which is that, that from this point on, Temujin is always going to have this sort of lingering distrust of high-ranking folks. Um, you're going to yep. see this later when he's conquering cities. You know, he's much more likely to show mercy to uh, the common people than to the nobility of a conquered city. Um, and again, not famous for his merciful acts, you know, ever. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah not, not really a major part but of you, his But you uh, stood a better chance if you were some poor, beaten-down person or a slave or whatever than if you were, you know, the family of a, of a defeated sultan or shah or something. Yeah. Um, he was probably just gonna fucking kill you. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe an early supporter of uh, revolution. You know, um, he was a great, the great, the great leveler. Yeah. So accounts differ as to the length of the period of time that Temujin spent in captivity. Um, there are theories that he was held captive just, you know, for 10 years. Some people say that he escaped and was recaptured and escaped and was recaptured, but there was a long period of, of captivity. Um, and then others, you know, the secret history being the main source for a lot of our stuff, uh, they sort of gloss over this and make it seem like it was just like a couple of months or a couple of weeks even. Um, <clears throat> the decade theory or this like long repeated captivity theory would sort of explain why there's this kind of absence of information about like this sort of intermediate period of his childhood. And it seems like it sort of jumps from like his dad dying and the whole episode with him, like meeting Borte, his, his betrothed wife. And then all of a sudden now here we are and he's like about to be an adult by Mongol reckoning and he's escaping and it's like well what did they do that whole time you know so he was either captured a lot younger or you know just not a lot happened and it was just his family you know in a camp by the river trying to get by and yep. he is making blood brothers with jamuka and all that fun stuff <laughs> <laughs> um but so the thing is if if the decade theory is true um there's a couple things about that so it would look kind of bad for Genghis, for Genghis, for Temujin, if he had been just held captive as a slave for 10 years and done nothing about it. That doesn't really make him look like this big badass guy, right? Yeah. He just sort of stood there and took it. Um, but also, it, if that turns out to be true, it would be really dangerous for the families and successors of the Taichiuds and the groups that had imprisoned him for this period of time. Because yep. obviously we know that Temujin grows on, goes on to become the baddest fucking dude in the history of ever. Yeah. And if it's true that some people had wronged him this aggressively in the past, himself and his successors who were also, you know, spoiler alert, Chingus's sons are no fucking walk in the park either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these folks are not going to have it good if people find out that he was enslaved for 10 years. So, it's kind of in everybody's best interest to just pretend none of it happened, even if it did. So all the prevailing histories just sort of agree that, like, eh, it was probably just not that long. Um, yeah. And whether that's true or not, who's to say? Yeah, a bad time for a few months. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how we're framing it, but... It is possible really it was longer. It's possible that it was longer. Um, and you know, this will be the time that I reiterate it. When you're dealing with a lot of this stuff, the, the, the Mongol history is no different from a lot of ancient accounts like this. We've said it in past episodes. It's a propaganda piece. It's ultimately, there is definitely some fiction woven in here. Um, it's thought that it's actually fairly truthful, but, like, who's to say? And yeah. um, so a lot of these details of his early life, they've definitely been 
been zhuzhed up a little bit. That being yep. said, it's a fucking awesome story. It's such a good story. And uh, so we're sticking with it. Yep. <clears throat> Either way, um, whatever turns out to be true, uh, as the story goes, he rides off. He goes to find his mother's camp. Um, they've moved, so he's got to figure out where they are. And he's got to figure out just what the fuck he's going to do with his life.
so sir. we're going to fast forward a little bit to the next known chapter uh, in the story of Temujin, of little Genghis. So it's 1178. Temujin is now 16 years old, uh, and he's considered a man. Keep in mind, he's likely 15 by Western standards. We talked about that in the past. A lot of East Asian countries, they count that first nine months in the womb as the first year of a child's life. Um, no real need to get bogged down in it, but just he's either 15 or 16. He's not like a – when we say he's a man, he's not a, a big old man. He's yeah. A, he's, a, <laughs> he's a teenager still. Um, so it's been seven years since his betrothed – uh, seven years since he has last seen his betrothed, Borte. Um, remember, he went on the field trip with his father to find a wife. And yep. then when his dad left, he got captured and poisoned by Tartars trying to trying to feast with them and that whole that whole thing. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Because you've definitely watched, listened to part two. You've definitely listened. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you've done sure your you homework. Listen. If this is all sounding silly, I mean, you got to just make sure you go back and listen. It's yeah, a fucking good it. story. That's on you. Listen. Ebby, listen, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's on you. You're yeah, absolutely right, Evan. on you. Uh, and with life... So so he hasn't seen Borte in seven years, right? And with life on the step being as bananas as it was... I mean, you guys remember how his mom got, you know, married, right? Quote, unquote. Yep. She got kidnapped. She was already supposed to be married to another dude. And then here comes Temujin's dad, Yesuge, and he's just like... She's real purdy. I think I'll make her mine. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I already got one of them back home, but I could go for another. And uh, so they – he's – you know, there's no real reason to suspect that, like, Borte is still just at her dad's house sitting waiting for him to come and collect her. You know, it's it's more than likely that she's married someone else or been kidnapped or whatever. It's a crazy world out there, you know? Yep. Um, but Temujin's the sort of fella we're going to find who kind of likes to find stuff like that out for himself. He's not really a giver-upper. He's yeah. sort of a doer. Uh, he's a go-getter. He's really driven to succeed. He'd probably be like a Fortune 500 CEO today mm-hmm. and uh, would be just absolutely destroying. He'd be like a corporate raider or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So he grabbed his, uh, his, his slightly younger half-brother, Belgute. Um, remember, they're still homies. Um, yeah, they're cool. Even though... Even though Temujin and his other, his younger full brother, Khasar, had just murdered Begter, who was Belgute's older full brother, um, Belgute and, and Temujin seem to have had a really good relationship because at this stage of their life as teenagers, they get really tight, and Belgute kind of becomes his, like, number two guy for a couple of these escapades. Yeah. So they set off and they try to find the camp of Borte's father, De Sechen, along the <laughs> Kerlen River. Um, so that's actually the same river now that... Uh, Temujin's own family is camped along. They've moved from the Onon River down to the the Kerlen River. Yep. So they follow the Kerlen River, <clears throat> and sure enough, they find not only De Sechen's gear, but Borte is still there, and she's still into Temujin. What's up, Borte? I know, right? It's good to see you, girl. Oh, and despite, shit. <laughs> <laughs> damn, you're looking good. You filled out. Um, so despite this whole mess with the Taichiuds and everything that's going on, De Sechen is still kind of liking the looks of little Temujin. He's like, ah, you could be a pretty good son-in-law, my man. You're like, you're looking a little muscular. You look like a little badass, dude. Like, what's going on, my, my dude? Marry my girl Borte here. Yeah. So um, 
this is considered especially nuts because at this point Borte is like maybe 18 and yeah. that's like practically a spinster in in 12th century Mongol terms like everybody's yeah. like damn she's old like I'm not yeah, trying to she, marry she should have 18? like three or four kids by this she's point old <laughs> so <laughs> and remember it's traditional for the women in Fuck in it. Mongol culture to be a little Temujin older than about the men to there. hit up milf matter dude yeah dude right? <laughs> Mongolian milf matter <laughs> dude Borte's about to be a contestant yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's the crossover we didn't know we needed. Yeah, yeah it's the most the ambitious crossover event. Genghis Khan Milf Manor crossover. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that show. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so it all works out, and the three of them, uh, Belgate, Temujin, and now Borte, uh, they set off back to Holun's camp to kind of seal the deal. So. Yep. Traditionally, a bride-to-be, when she's traveling back to her, you know, soon-to-be or new husband's uh, family, she brings a gift of fine clothing, and she presents it to the man's father uh, as sort of a gesture of goodwill, etc., etc. Now, it's clothing because things like gold or whatever... They're heavy and they're kind of impractical. You got to carry them. There's a chance you'll get robbed, whatever. But clothing is great because clothing is beautiful, but it's also practical. So if you give somebody a piece yeah, of clothing, not only is that like a, a nice little thing, like a, hey, here, how are you? But also they can use it and it's going to help keep them warm and keep them alive. Yep. So she gives him what is considered kind of a, a, a really nice gift. She's got this coat made out of perfect black sable fur. Nice. Uh, so sables are these little carnivorous members of the Martin family. Think of yep. sort of like a weasel. They sometimes climb trees. Yep. Um, and they live up here in this part of the world. And uh, their fur is is and was highly prized for both its softness and its warmth. Um, so this is like a really, really nice gift. She's yep. doing pretty good here. So Temujin is a smart guy, though, right? She's got this gift. Um, and normally that would be given to Yesuge, his father, but Yesuge is dead. Remember, he got poisoned seven yeah. years ago by the Tatars, those fucks. And so he doesn't need a sable, co- a sable coat. He's fucking worm food. Yeah. But you know who would probably like a nice new sable coat? If you're going to say Onkan, the leader of the Karayid tribal confederacy that dominates the beautiful steppe land south of the Onon River and north of the Gobi Desert, yep. you probably read ahead in say that. I knew you. I, I had a feeling. Uh, well, if you were going to say all that, you would be today's big winner. Yeah. We have yet to crown the goose of the, the goose of the week, but, yeah. uh, today's big winner is you, if you guessed that. Yes. Yeah. That's um, true. so Onkan's actual name was Torgyu. The beautiful mallard duck of today's episode. <laughs> 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 Onkan's actual name is Torgil, and he had been a friend of Yesuge back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and Temujin figured, hey, uh, the Taichiud might seem big and bad to him at this point, but they're actually small fry compared to Onkan and the Karyids. And Onkan did used to really like his dad, so maybe if he gives his bride present to him, he'll, like, look after him and, and, yep. and protect him and stuff, Shit right? It's a good go plan. Nice. Well, this is actually, this is primo step politicking here. It's it's yeah. a really genius play by the young up-and-commer Regifting is big. Yeah, step. yeah, you're you're, you're going to want to keep an eye on this guy because he he could be going all the way, folks. Yeah. Temujin's shaping up to be a pretty shrewd operator here. Yep. So at this point, 
the best lands on the Mongolian steppe north of the Gobi Desert uh, are kind of controlled by three major tribal confederacies and their ruling khans. Khans just being the, the chief, the king, the head guy in charge of a, of yep. a tribe, of a group. And so these are the real big boys in this sort of sphere um, among both the Mongols and, like I said, it's not just Mongols here. The lines get kind of blurry about who is and isn't a Mongol. Um, there's other groups. but um, So Onkan and the Karyids hold the center. Um, and they are either Mongols or related to the Mongols. So their lands fall between the Orkhan River and the Tul River. To their west, there's a guy named Tayang Khan, and he holds sway over the Naiman tribe, who I think are also Mongols or Mongol adjacent. Yeah. Then to the west, I'm sorry, to the east, uh, the lands are controlled not by Mongols, but that's the that's where the Tatars are in control. Yeah. And remember, they had killed poor sweet Yesuge seven years prior. Yep. So these three major groups are kind of constantly fighting, um, not only with one another, obviously, because they're the, these are the, the big boys. They're they're they all want to dominate the other guys. Yeah. Everybody wants to be the fucking the 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 great Khan over all these other Khans, a Kagan, if you will. Uh, but also fighting the smaller groups around them, and they do that mainly a to like assert dominance, but also they try to like beat them in battle so they can forge alliances and get them to help each other fight each other. So. Yep. They want these small tribes to join up with them so that they can then go fight their real enemies who are the other big tribes in that central plain. So back in the day, Yesuge, Temujin's father, and Onkan had been Andas, sworn blood brothers. And so you remember we mentioned Temujin has an Anda, this guy Jamuka. Uh, and yep. they, they drank each other's blood, they exchanged arrowheads, that whole deal. You guys remember that, right? Right? Yeah, we, Again, we really got to go listen to that episode. Don't we, folks? We remember. <laughs> Well, Yesuge had spent a lot of his life fighting under Onkan, um, first in the war that overthrew Onkan's uncle, Gurkan, uh, and then against the Merkids. Remember, the Merkids are the family of Holun's uh, original betrothed's family, that guy Chiladu, and they have that whole thing where she throws him. You just go back and listen. Yeah, go back. And then finally, the Tatars, against whom Yesuge was fighting when he captured Holun all those years before. Yeah, the Tatars and their delicious sauce. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and that's actually, so remember, Temujin is named after a Tatar. Yeah. Temujin Uge. So in the super male kinship dominated <clears throat> world of the Mongols and their politics, uh, the move Temujin was making here would have been pretty clear to everyone. So by offering his bride gift of the black sable coat to Onkan, Temujin would be asking to be treated as the Khan's son. So if that's accepted, Onkan would be acknowledging himself as the boy's new adopted father. So, leaving Borte back with Holun, um, it's off to the south, again, with Belgote in tow, to seek a new dad in the mighty Onkan of the Karyid tribe. This is a real Julius Caesar, Augustus situation. It, it is. Going. I mean, it, re- it really is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't really know a better place to mention it, but I think it's cool to note that the yeah. Karyids, as well as the Naimans, who are two of the big tribes here in the central, the central mm-hmm. plain... Um, are Christians, which I think Ooh. is just cool. Uh, so they had been converted by uh, missionaries from the Assyrian church a couple hundred years before. Uh, so they were Eastern. They are. And so by this point, well, but they're kind of their own thing because they yeah. don't really take with, like, tradition and they don't have, like, it's organized like churches. Kind of. It's very syncretic. So if yeah. you were building this religion in uh, in crusader kings there would definitely be it would be more like you know you took tengri and then did like christian syncretism with it yeah um but christianity seems to suit these groups uh god and christ could be pretty easily identified with tenger or tengri um the endless blue sky 
like the ancient Hebrews, the Mongols are pastoralists, and so they identify with a lot of these sort of cultural motifs that are present, especially in the Old Testament. Um, but also they love the New Testament because, as we've mentioned, they have all these taboos about death and healing. And so here's Christ who not only himself rose from the dead, but was yeah. also able to heal the sick and the dying um, and, you know, uh, reverse possessions and all this stuff. So he seems like a really uh, a really admirable figure to, to the Mongols. Um, <clears throat> and so the practice of medicine and healing actually kind of becomes central to this strand of Christianity. And lastly, this was really important, Christians could both eat meat, unlike Buddhists, which was also yep. popular among certain groups of, of steppe tribes, and they not only allowed, but they encouraged the consumption of alcohol, unlike Muslims, who sort of existed now out on the uh, western frontiers of, of the steppe lands. Yep. And so to the Karyids and the Naimans, uh, Christianity seems like the most logical way to go. Um, yep. They want to get that salvation, they but the, uh, they also want to be able to party. Fermented horse milk? That, that, that Iraq. Yeah. Um, they also, you know, they built no permanent churches. They operated out of Gurs and they, they had a pretty loosey goosey interpretation of, of scripture. Um, there was a lot of syncretism with their old Tengri religion, but, um, so it wouldn't have really resembled Christianity to folks say back in Rome, but, um, they were Christians. They believed in Christ. They liked Jesus. So I don't know. Just thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. So Temujin and, and Begter going back to our narrative here, Temujin and Begter arrive at the camp of Onkan, and they present him with the sable coat, and they are extremely warmly received. Temujin is immediately embraced as Onkan's son, so everything's going to plan. He's actually, he's offered command of a, of a war band. He's, he's, you know, he said, well, if you're going to be my son, you want to fucking, you want yeah, some you wanna, warriors you under you? You want to, like, some lead booty? some of my, my boys and go out and fucking kill some folks? Yeah. But uh, according to the secret history, Temujin declines this. Uh, all he wants to do is, is go back home, farm, not farm, uh, raise uh, livestock and hunt uh, in peace along the Carolin River. Uh, he just wants his new father to offer him protection from his enemies, from the Taichiud, so that he can live in peace. He doesn't want any part of the, the clan struggle. He doesn't want to become a great Khan. He just, his life has been so fucking nuts. All this dude wants is to go home, fuck his wife, have some kids, and hunt, and, like, then just die. <laughs> so he's like, yeah. I'm all set with all that, man. Honestly, I've had a pretty so fucked much. life to this point. Yeah. Just trying to bust. <laughs> yeah, I've literally lived a full adult man's life. Yeah. Uh, I'm 17. I really just yeah. want to go home. Yeah. Um. So Onkan is down with this. Onkan's, like, a pretty chill dude, and he's like... Awesome, dude. No problem. You have any issues, you come get me. Otherwise, go do your thing, son. I love you. War I love band your dad. thing is still open in case you want it. Yeah. Go bust some nuts. Absolutely. And no, pretty much. He's like, come back anytime you change your mind. <laughs> yeah. If you want to fucking, you want to go fuck some shit up, you know who to call. You call Papa Onkan. Yeah. So now, um, so he just, he's going to go back. He's going to, he's going to hang with his wife and he's going to get this little clan that he's building together. So the family now includes Temujin. No more Begter. We mm -hmm. have canceled Begter. <laughs> yeah, Begter's canceled. Uh, but Begter's younger brother and Temujin's uh, younger half-brother, Belgute, yeah. and then Temujin's whole, uh, full brothers, Khasar, Khachiun, and Temuge. And then there's these two new dudes. There's Burchu, okay. who, according to the secret history, he these are like Star Wars names. It's hysterical. Yeah, Bur there's, yeah. <laughs> there's Burchu, who um, Temujin apparently like met while he was trying to chase down some horses that he'd lost. Um, <laughs> and he ran into Burchu. Now Burchu he's just and, one of the boys. And then there was Jelme, who 
uh, the book that I read in Weatherford, they say that Jelme was was given to Temujin by his father. I don't know if they're talking about Onkan or Yesuge. They don't yeah. really describe why. Um, but Jelme might be a slave, but it seems like he's kind of treated more just like one of the boys. So, yeah. you know, he's part of the squad now. Yeah. Um, either yeah, way, he's not like in captivity. He's like out riding and fighting, and he's like one of he's one of Borchu and Jelme are like the two first dudes that aren't blood relatives of Temujin. Um, yeah. besides Jamuka to like just join up with him and like help his family, whatever. So then for women, there's Borte, his new wife. There's Holun, his mother. There's his sister Temulun, and then there's uh, Belgute's mom Sochigel, and another old lady who. Is just the old lady. She doesn't have a name. So she's, she's the old lady. But she rocks, and she's going to be awesome in a second. So <clears throat> there's seven teenage boys to hunt and protect the family, five women to tend to the homestead. Things are looking up. They're finally, like, they've got enough people, and they've moved to the Caroline River. Things are looking pretty good. And this yep. is really all he wants. He just wants to be left in peace. He doesn't want any trouble. But that's not how things work on the step. There is no no trouble. Old wrongs are always remembered. Vengeance is a way of life. So even though they're this small and kind of insignificant fledgling clan, they have not gone unnoticed. Yep. The Merkids, from whom Holun had been stolen all those years ago by Yesuge, they were they had this guy Chiladu who was supposed to marry her. They didn't forget that. And they figured out who Yesuge was. They figured out that he was dead. They figured out that his son was back and he had this stupid little family. And they also figured out that he had this hot new wife that he just brought back. And they thought to themselves, man, even though that was almost 20 years ago, wouldn't it be fucking sweet to swoop in and steal this kid's wife because yeah. of what his dad did? <laughs> and so that's the thing. They don't want Holun. She's old. She's like in her 30s, dude. She's gross. Nobody wants that. Yeah. But there's this, hot new, this hot new chick, Borte, who, again, is, is a MILF at this point at 18. <laughs> they want to snatch her up. Yep. And they're going to marry her off to one of their guys. And the cycle of vengeance and violence will continue. And this seems like the perfect time. So this could, potentially, if you were looking for this sort of thing, yep. shape up to be some some sort of a foundational experience for young Temujin, who up till now seems to be on kind of a pacifistic track, which doesn't really doesn't really make sense considering he's going to become this sort of globe conquering juggernaut. Yeah. Uh, so theoretically, who's to say this this may or may not end up uh, pushing this this kid in some kind of direction? Yep. So early one morning, while everybody at, at Temujin's camp is asleep, a Merkid raiding party comes fucking thundering down out of the hills towards the camp. Now, the old woman, who again is just the old woman, she feels the vibrations of the horse's hooves, and she she jumps up, and she wakes up the men. And they scramble, they grab their weapons, they grab their stuff, they grab Holun and Temulun, Temujin's sister, and they fucking book it out of there. They leave Sochigel, they leave the old woman, and they leave Borte behind. And we talked about this. There's yeah. there's no real room in step life for like chivalry, for fancy schmancy codes of honor. Um, this is a super calculated move. If they stay behind and fight, they're outnumbered. They're probably just all going to get killed, and then the women are going to get stolen anyway. If they leave a couple women behind, this is going to distract the raiders long enough to allow the men to regroup, make a plan, and either get revenge, plan a rescue, or, well, just figure out what to do to keep the family together. Yep. So while the Merkids are trashing their camp, doing who knows what to the ladies, and uh, and hunting around looking for him, um, Temujin stays on the run. He's he's hiding in the woods of this nearby mountain called Burkan Khaldun, oh. and he stays there for days uh, while the Merkids prowl around searching for him, and, and they eventually give up. They take their captives back to their homeland uh, across the mountains on the Selenge River. 
So Temujin now had to decide what to do. So he could abandon Borte after all this time, and he could go on to find a new wife. Um, but at this point, he knows that getting someone else to betroth the daughter to him, he's already getting kind of old. And frankly, he's already lost one wife to stronger men. Who's going to want to give him their daughter? It doesn't really seem like he can hold on to a daughter. Yep. Um, so he's probably going to have to kidnap one. And he doesn't like the sound of that. He saw what his mom grew up with, with Yesuge and Sochigel and the situation with Begter and all that stuff. And he said, I'm not kidnapping a woman and marrying her. I want my wife. So the other option is he could go and save Borte. But how's he going to do that? Because he doesn't really have anything. He's, he's kind of weak and he doesn't have a lot going on for him. Yeah. So he decides that since Burkan Kaldun had just sheltered him and saved him, uh, he's going to pray to the spirit of the mountain um, for guidance on what to do. And so here, uh, I would like to actually read a little excerpt from from the book, uh, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by Jack Weatherford, yep. because I think that they did a really, really, really nice job sort of summing up this period here. The Mongols divided the natural world into two parts, the earth and the sky. Just as the human soul was contained not in the stationary parts of the body, but in the moving essences of blood, breath, and aroma, so too the soul of the earth was contained in its moving water. The rivers flowed through the earth like the blood through the body, and three of those rivers began here on this mountain. As the tallest mountain, Burkhan Kaldun, literally God Mountain, was the Khan of the area, and it was the earthly place closest to the eternal blue sky. And as the source of three rivers, Burkhan Kaldun was also the sacred heart of the Mongol world. The secret history relates that Temujin, grateful for having escaped death at the hands of the Merkid, first offered a prayer of thanks to the mountain that protected him and to the sun that rode across the sky. He made special thanks to the captured old woman who had saved the others by hearing like a weasel. To thank the spirits around him, as was Mongol practice, he sprinkled milk into the air and on the ground. Unwinding his belt from his robe, he hung it around his neck. The sash, or belt, traditionally worn only by men, was the center of a Mongol man's identity. For Temujin to remove his sash in this way was to remove his strength and to appear powerless before the gods around him. He then removed his hat, put his hand on his breast, and dropped down onto the ground nine times to kowtow before the sun and before the sacred mountain. Fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. Rules, right? So famously, he does this for three days, right? He stays up there. And he prays for three days, figuring out what to do. And it's said that he realized after three days that he had three choices, represented by the three rivers that flow from the foot of Burkhan Kaldun. So first there's the Kerlen River, which is the river that he had been camped on when they got attacked. And he could just re- go back there and kind of pick up where they left off. And he could rebuild. But, you know, no matter how many new wives he took or whatever, he would always be risking further attacks from the Merkids who obviously knew where he was and could just come back over the mountains anytime if he didn't do anything about it to just keep raiding them. Mm-hmm. Second, he could return north to the Onon River of his childhood, and he could survive there, but remember, the place that he grew up is pretty harsh and pretty shitty. And so he was just, just, just starting to get comfortable. So he doesn't want to go back to that and eat rats for dinner, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or third, he could follow the Tool River south, and he could appeal for help from his adoptive father, Onkan, and he could go fuck up some markets. So I don't know. What do you think he's going to do? I think our boy is going to see Daddy Ong Khan. I think you might be right.
So up until now, the secret history has asserted that Temujin's reluctance to engage in the uh, constant tribal warfare of the steppe is like a prevalent feature of his personality. Uh, however, he also truly seems to love Borte, which is kind of unique, and that's really highlighted in, in, this, in this book. So in his prayers uh, on, on Burkhan Kaldun, he had betrayed a great deal of public emotion. Uh, which is something that a man was not generally expected to do. He had decried of his, his shattered heart, his empty breast, his empty bed, and how empty his life was without Borte in his life. And his full balls. She's the one fucking person that had ever made him happy. His full balls. She's the one person that had ever made him happy. And I think we can agree, right? This kid's not had, like, a great life by any yeah. metric. It's been a pretty fucked up time. And... He finally met someone that like gets him, and she waited for him, and he she makes him happy. He loves her. Yeah. He's never been happy really before, and so then there's this like pretty girl, and she's like, "Yeah, dude, I like you. I'll, I'll marry you." And he's like, "Great, you're my favorite person ever. I'll literally like follow you to the ends of the earth." And conversely, he will move heaven and earth to get her back. Uh, that's what he's decided. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna go south to Onkan. But he's not going to go back and beg like some peasant. He's going to show up in camp and demand the right of a son to ask his father's aid in getting vengeance against those who have wronged him. Luckily, because Onkan doesn't have to do this. He's a big, powerful dude. And even though he's embraced Temujin as his son, he could just as easily like dodge this and be like, I've got plenty of pretty girls here. Take a new wife. Like, yeah. whatever. But luckily, he hates the Merkids himself. He's like, dude, fuck he's yeah. Like, the <laughs> fucking who? Yeah. He's, the Merkids did that shit? <laughs> to my uh-uh. boy? <laughs> Temujin, and he also get seems on to the really, fucking horse. Li- We're going. I think he really likes Temujin because Temujin's yeah. got moxie. And I think he sees yeah. this kid and he's like, I fucking knew it. I knew you were going to come back ready to crack some skulls, dude. Yeah. The Merkids, say no more, my man. Yeah. Say less. <laughs> I Let's prayed for this day, my son. I've been waiting. <laughs> so he pretty much immediately agrees that the only thing to do is to get the boys together and go break some fucking heads. So he suggests that before they go, Temujin should ride out and seek the aid of this other young Khan in the area who has been gaining prestige recently and glory for his clan, the Jadaran clan. And he's got a feeling that Temujin might remember who this guy is. Because this guy is named Jamuka. Yep. And the old Khan had a feeling that he might be willing to ride out into battle with his sworn blood brother for the first time as grown men. And this shit gets me so amped up. I have goosebumps right now. I fucking yep. love this story. I think it's so cool. So the forces of Onkan and Jamuka join up with Temujin's small band of like seven guys and they gather at the foot of Burkhan Khaldun and they're going to sweep across the mountains into Merkid territory. So it's said that despite the fact that he's been through a lot and had some serious scraps in his life, um, Temujin has not been on any raids. He didn't grow up with a dad. He didn't go out doing this shit and he just wanted to fucking be left alone. So he hasn't gone on any like organized like battles or raids to this point. But he shows himself to be a very able warrior and commander. Uh, he fights bravely alongside his adopted father and his blood brother, as well as his actual brothers and his clanmates. Yep. The Merkid are totally surprised by this attack, and they get scattered like flies. They run like fucking pussy bitches. So Temujin, while everybody's attacking, they're you know tearing down Gurs and taking captives and killing the men, whatever, stealing horses, that's a big thing. He's racing from, you know, little camp to camp across the whole Merkid greater camp area. And he's calling out, Borte, Borte. And anybody that stands in his way, he's just fucking cutting them down. Yep. Borte, meanwhile, had been given to another man as a wife. And so she'd been packed away in a cart and was being led away from battle. And she wasn't, she had no idea who was attacking. She's as scared as everyone else. She just thinks, okay, fuck, I better hide so that I don't get captured Re-wife again. again. And I, you know? <laughs> and plus... 
she's she's a little concerned for her personal well-being and we'll see why in a little bit yeah so she's thinking she's just got to hide so she doesn't get captured by some other guy and now she's got to marry a third dude but suddenly rising above the 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 clash of of steel and the loosing of arrows and the carnage of battle she hears a familiar voice she hears temujin calling her name and she leaps from the cart and starts running towards it Temujin, not seeing who it is in the pre-dawn darkness, he hears somebody coming up behind him, and he whips around, sword drawn, ready to fucking cut them down. And then at the last minute, he realizes it's Borte. And they lock eyes, they see each other, he drops everything, and they embrace right there on the battlefield. And it's like, I love you so much, I've missed you, whatever. And this, I just fucking think this rules so hard. Mm -hmm. This could so easily be a fucking TV show. People would go bananas for this shit. Yep. I think one of the main reasons, honestly, that something like Vikings gets made and this doesn't get made is because this is about, like, non-white people. Yeah, no, <laughs> And 100%. people get so fucking hard for, like, just, like, Vikings and shit. Nobody nobody would get as excited. No, by nobody, I mean fucking yeah. dumbass fucking racist white audiences yeah. wouldn't get as excited to see, like, an East Asian love story. Yeah, I don't, but, like, I don't think the fan base of Vikings leans too far to the left. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. There's, you know what they're watching right now is fucking Yellowstone. That's yeah. what the fan base of Vikings has moved on to. Yeah. <laughs> fucking country redneck soap opera. Yeah. Um, but this would be, like, just the fucking greatest show. It's got everything. It's yeah. got everything. So, having devastated the Mercids, the Mongol Confederation uh, decides that their mission is accomplished and they're going to withdraw. Um, Temujin has repaid the pain that the Mercids have inflicted upon him tenfold. He's destroyed their homes, he's taken their horses, killed their men, and captured their women. Oh. And now, most importantly, he has his beloved Borte back. And so he turns and he says this awesome quote to the men. <laughs> Which sounds like, I think they kind of tried to quote this in, in uh, Conan the Barbarian. Well, yeah. We have made their breasts to become empty. We have made their beds to become empty. And we have made an end of the men and their descendants. And we have ravished those who remained. The Merkid people being so dispersed, let us withdraw ourselves. And <laughs> so there's a part, part in Conan the Barbarian when he's talking to like an obvious Genghis Khan character. And he's like, yeah. Conan, what is best in life? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to, to hear the lamentation the of their women. Of woman. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing quote. And I, I yeah. think it's pretty clearly based on this. So, uh, also, Sochigel. Uh, who was Yesuge's other wife and Belgate's mother and the old woman who's awesome uh, never get found and I don't really know that anybody looked for them too hard yeah. um, too bad so sad but I thought I should mention it that they uh, they are they are lost to history Peace <laughs> and uh, the army is now going to begin their long trek back to the southeast um, yeah. so Temujin now is like great I fucking everything's coming up Temujin um, yeah. I, I got my wife back I've established myself under my new father-in-law uh, I met Jamuka again. Like, this guy's great. Maybe I'll go stay with him for a little while. And I just want a great victory for my new adoptive father, Onkan. I've found out I'm pretty good at it. So maybe, you know, maybe there is something to this raiding thing. Maybe I could do some of that on the side while I'm raising my family. And then and his seems, eyes look down. <laughs> seems like everything's working out pretty good, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> he looks down. What the fuck is that? Borte's got a baby bump. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bun in the oven. Now, yeah. the thing about it is this. Let's say she's been she's been captured for three months. She's about three months pregnant. Yeah. So this could be Temujin's baby. But she had also been given to this other guy as a wife. It could be his wife, his baby too. This fucking yeah. shithead market who stole her from him. Yeah. 
was Temujin the father? Is it this Merkid bastard? I don't know, man. But this feels like a pretty fucking good place for a cliffhanger. Yep. Because things have not stopped getting dramatic in our story, and it's just gonna keep on going in the next installment of Left Unread Presents The Mongols. What do you call yourself? <laughs> the Mongols. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a uh, I I I, I was really struggling to my initial notes for this were were a couple pages longer, but then I yeah. felt like this was like the best place. To yeah, this is a good place to stop. Fucking great, yeah. like great ending. Yep. And I hope you guys are as amped as I am because literally I fucking love this story. Oh, it's an awesome I think this story. Is, yeah. I think this story is so goddamn good. And yep. uh, I gotta recommend again. I gotta shout out uh, Genghis or Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by Jack Weatherford. Mm-hmm. It tells this whole story, and especially in these parts where we're talking about. The early life of Genghis. Um, I'm working pretty much exclusively from that book um, yep. because I don't know. I just like the way that he frames the narrative, so I want to give him all due credit. Um, that's really the the backbone of of all of this, um, and I got to recommend that book because I think it's a great read, and it's not you know some super inaccessible text. It's it's really fun. It's a good read. This is my third time through it for this yep. episode, and. Um, yeah, so all shouts out to Jack Weatherford because he probably I don't remember, but this might be the book that like really got me amped up on on Genghis Khan. It's just it's just such a does such a good job of telling the story. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and awesome. then I know there was something else that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, just really to round briefly. Out the show so um, the the Writers Guild Association strike. These mm-hmm. are the you know the people that write the shows and movies that you like in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. They're on strike right now. And the big point of contention is AI. So <clears throat> the Writers Guild wants to basically outlaw AI being used whatsoever in any way, shape, or form by the studios and producers. And that's what the sticking point was that caused them to strike. And the studios and producers uh, claim that they will only use AI to you know get bare-bones stories for scripts, but then uh, they will pay the unionized members that cost money when AI doesn't. Uh, to uh, to flush out and finish the script and rewrite. And so I just want to go back to the Dalai Lama. I think it was the Dalai Lama episode where I talk about how there's this looming uh, clash coming over AI and what happens when AI starts to take people's jobs. Things like people writing scripts, journal- right. uh, people doing journalism, lawyers, all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I just felt like that was... Uh, pretty prescient because it's immediately happening (laughs) yeah of course it is and i don't know it's like how seriously can you take like the promises of like a hollywood movie? you can't you cannot take fucking the employer's promises seriously never you are a fucking mark if you believe your employer when they said that they will not use this free thing to take over your paid job yeah so good on them strike and don't fucking stop striking until you get that fucking concession yeah, I think everybody should be behind not only the writer strike, but when you see strikes in general, yeah, you should be immediately do skeptical not fucking any... union bust. Do not cross the picket line. No, fuck that. Solidarity you be immediately for skeptical ever. You should be immediately skeptical of any, 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 and I mean fucking any media source or article that yeah. suggests that you do anything other than just support them. You should solidarity because here's the thing: those people fucking ever. Those people, no matter what anybody in charge wants you to think, whether their job is similar to yours or different from yours, whether their pay rate is similar to yours or different from yours, if they do not control, if they do not profit directly and the most good from the and means their labor of production, is being alienated from yeah, them. Yeah, they are you. They are the same as you. Yeah. And like most of us, 
they are being juiced dry for yeah. the fucking equity that they create with their labor. Yeah. And any news source or any article that suggests that you should show them anything but unwavering support, yeah. fuck them. It's like, fuck them. And Solidarity forever. You'll see that shit from, you know, the obvious ones. You'll see that shit from Fox News. But you'll see that shit from NPR. You'll see yeah. that shit from CNN. Because why? They're all owned by fucking millionaires. I mean, yep. maybe not NPR, but like... No, no. NPR takes fucking gigantic donations of from like major corporations. Yeah, that's what so. underwriters are. There's yeah. no advertising, but there is underwriting. Yeah. Like, ugh. I and I like NPR as much as anything else. I mean, look, if I'm going to listen to the news... <laughs> if I'm going to listen to the news, it's probably going to be that. And even that, you got to take that with a spoonful of salt. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I can't stand NPR. Well, Evan only gets his news from UncleBingBongs.com, which is a very niche website. But Evan's a big Uncle Bing Bong fan. Oh, yeah, I'm and a big, I'm a big fan of the Bing Bong. He's he's one of the Bing Bong boys. And yeah, we love him for it. I don't blame him. Um, but they they sort of speak their own language over there that I have yet to to parse. I can't yeah. I can't break through on. Uh, uh, I can't. I it's can't all call pig myself. A, I can't it's count myself Latin. among their number. <laughs> oh, anyway. So anyway. Uh, Yep, just wanted to say that. Left on Red says solidarity, solidarity forever. We have solidarity with the WGA and their strike. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, fuck yeah. We absolutely do. And I hope that one day one of these fucking embattled writers will write the show of my dreams <laughs> and write my fucking sweeping Genghis Khan fucking drama TV show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um uh, I hope it comes through, but this particular series is like my favorite thing that I've ever done on this show. Um, and we've been having so much fun in general with the episodes lately. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. Uh, links will be in the episode notes to Twitter, to email. Um, reach out to us. Uh, keep giving us ideas. Listen to the show. Pass us on to your friends and your loved ones. Um, and, yeah, we'll just keep doing our thing. Um, I also just wanted to note that... You know, when is in our release schedule wonky, but like it's going to be a little wonky the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going away to visit the glorious paradise of Nicaragua, and um, but we've got some cool shit planned for like during that time, so episodes will still be in the works and we'll still be getting released. Things just might be wonky. I don't know. There, you might notice that like the timelines seem a little fucked up because we yeah. might have to record some shit in advance or whatever. So, yep. Um, but Left Unread will will be back soon with many great things. It sure will. Right. Right. You guys have a great week or whatever, and we will see you whenever we're back. Peace. Bye.